listening to Sidious Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. I am your host, Rick Enlow, and I'm in the Pacific Northwest, as is our guest today. And we have two guests that are from the Pacific Northwest, but uh, our LF president is down in Texas, but by the miracle of technology, we're together. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing good, Rick. Good to see you. That's great. I mean, uh, you're missing um, some really nice rain uh, up here that's refreshing everything. Yeah, that's a shock because it's raining up there. And you, uh, you're missing about 68 degree sunshiny, bright blue sky weather. So wow. Just, yeah, just I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for you, Dave. Uh, no, it's great. <laughs> I'm glad you're there and it's good to get together. Now, listen, this series uh, is a year end series because here we go. In fact, um, uh, you know, the holidays right in front of us here. And um, of course, the city as playground metaphor is it goes way back to uh, what kind of framed um, this entire podcast adventure, uh, as it is the name of the book you wrote uh, that outlines the 50 year history of leadership foundations. But uh, we're we're asking that question. Can you imagine a playground? And uh, this is our second episode as we pursue that question. And as we uh, step back, you know, and uh, we kind of examine what an audacious idea you know, imagining our cities as playgrounds uh, really is, and mm-hmm. what a you know what a actually um, I think it's been a contagious metaphor because it's so fun to to see others uh, you know use it in their just the way that they they speak about you know uh, what LF is doing in, in all these different cities around the world. But yeah. um, let me ask you this now: Leadership Foundation uh, has the name um, leadership in it. <laughs> it does. It does. But what, yeah. So, what's the connection with uh, with uh, you know that and this imagining uh, of our cities as playgrounds? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good that you caught that word leadership and leadership foundations, Rick. <laughs> that was that was excellent work by you. Thank um, you. Yeah. You know, I, part of the way I tell this story um, is one of the uh, ways the Holy Spirit manifested himself herself in uh, Reed Carpenter is through what I would describe as this prophetic gift. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the ways that prophetic gift um, actually um, came out was the naming of this movement. Um, You know, why read at that point in 1978, taking the uh, gift that Sam Shoemaker had given him, decided in the midst of all the different words he could have used to name this movement, he chose Leadership Foundation. And I've told Reed, I said, Reed, you know, I mean, it was kind of a dud of a name at one level, right? Because, of course, anytime you put foundation in a title, um, instantly people think money, of which we have not had any basically for 40 years. Um, But the prescient thing about this was that he knew that leadership um, was key to this idea of City as Playground. Yeah. Um, That it was going to start and stop uh, really at the door of leadership. And that what all leadership needs, um, of course, is a foundation by which to build itself from. So uh, interestingly enough, over the last 40 years, we've probably had two different um, firms come in, do some marketing on us, and both have made the attempt to change our name. And it's been wonderful to watch the LS Network, the board of directors actually push back and go, nope, I think I think this is the right term. And Mm -hmm. the older we get, and I think the more we see the leadership crisis that's afoot today in the world, uh, the more and more I go back to read and say, you absolutely nailed uh, the title. Um, It's about leadership. 
if we're going to make playgrounds and we have to have a foundation on which to build that leadership and ultimately come and curate those playgrounds. Yeah, and I think also, Dave, to that, to your point on being, um, Reed being prophetic, it's just that this totally predates what we would call the leadership industry. Completely. So it was not a, That's right. it wasn't the chasing of a trend, um, but, you know, really a, a foundational idea that predates all of the, you know, the conference books and everything that has absolutely. emerged with that title. Yeah. Yep. That's absolutely right, Rick. And, you know, and then, you know, it's kind of the next evolution for us. Once we had that as our title um, and we began to really discover, you know, the secret sauce of leadership foundations, which is this, you know, wheel of change, right? The three functions, engaging leaders of good faith and goodwill, building the capacity of others, developing joint initiative. Well, what sits at the very heart um, of that wheel of change, of course, is leadership. And so we at the global office, what our singular task um, is each day we get up and go to bed at night is to help leadership, those local leadership foundation presidents, people like Alma and Melody, master uh, the wheel of change, right? In other words, get better and better and better at it. And the belief is that as that happens, then the leadership becomes equipped, the leadership becomes more capable, and we're able to actually now, in very practical ways, help our cities become more like playgrounds rather than battlegrounds. Uh, that's to me, Dave. The uh, the all the way, if we go all the way back to um, you know the life of Jesus, uh, we see how confused people were about what leadership meant. And, you know, in, in terms of uh, the expectation being, you know, kind of the warrior who's coming to, yeah. you know, to to do. And and uh, I think that gets back to um, what is staggering about that, you know, the difference between what people are thinking when they think leadership, uh, even today. And, uh, of course, when, when we take a look at Jesus, he says, yeah, no, I'm I didn't come to uh, to be served, but to serve. And he starts to describe this kind of leadership that is still to this day. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a model for not only LF, but for people that are following in the way. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I think you could make a pretty good theological argument that maybe the central controversy in the Gospels is the way that Jesus chose to exercise his leadership over in the way people wanted him to use uh -huh. his leadership. Yeah. And it actually became scandalous. Um, so, you know, because of that, um, Rick, what we have looked for in leadership foundations is a kind of working definition, knowing that there's a lot of definitions out there, but one that would really capture, I think, that sense of the way that Jesus led in the Gospels. And Bob Terry, who uh, came to us via Jack Fortin, who was a uh, kind of a leadership thought leader at the University of Minnesota, came up with a definition that I think, for me at least, has really captured the sense of when LF talks about leadership, this is actually what we're talking about. And he said that leadership is this, the courage to call forth authentic action in the commons. Um, and if we just maybe parse this real quickly, um, the first thing about the definition is that for Bob Terry, and I think this is true for Jesus, and this is certainly true for LF, uh, leadership is already embedded in the community. Um, we're going to get a great example of that in our conversations today with Alma and Mel. Um, right, the, the leadership is there. It's, it's been deposited. Uh, what then leadership foundations do is that we kind of try to muster up the courage 
to call forth, right, to help bring that leadership to the fore so that, right, then authentic action, right, doing things that have a kind of synergy to it, have an authenticity to it, you know, have a truth to it, um, will then be used. And here's the key term for leadership foundations. It's for the commons. It's for mm-hmm. everybody, right? It's not just a part of the city. It's not just the faith community. It's not just the nonprofit community. You know, we think that this courage to call forth authentic action uh, has to actually be usable and accessible to everybody, uh, which makes up the commons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's so true. And in fact, uh, th- I think that's why in, in our current sort of, um, I guess, you know, say the last few decades, uh, we still have this picture of, uh, you know, contr- the controlling factor of a leader, you know, the, the commander yeah. in chief type lead. And uh, that's so different than than um, servant leadership or, or servants that lead. And especially yeah. when you get to that uh, that one uh, you know, distinctive of in the commons, because, you know, it becomes so very elitist. And, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it, that's one of the things we say often about leaders is that they've lost touch, you know, and yeah. with, with what, well, with, you know, everyone else, you know, they yeah, just, right, they're, just, right. they're just going in their own universe. So that's, what's so cool about being connected. In fact, um, uh, one of the, one of the scriptural images, which I, I learned from uh, LF was uh, uh, this, this uh, actually in the program that's it's named after it is Acts six. Can you take us on yeah. that little r- reminder there? Yeah. Well, let me let me preface it with uh, another scriptural image in the Old Testament. Um, one of the curious things, uh, particularly in the creation account and through the book of uh, you know Exodus and uh, the, the Pentateuch, uh, there's only two times that the term "not good" is used. Uh, the first time is when, right, God has created Adam and, you know, Adam looks around and says, yeah, I've got a lot of animals and environment around me. Uh, but then God notes that it's not good that man should be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only, you know, negative statement about creation. Um, it only comes up one other time. And it's actually when Moses is trying to lead the Israelites um, mm-hmm. to the promised land. And he's trying to do it alone. And right. again, the same Hebrew term is used, Moses, this is not good. And I think that's suggestive to at least consider how important leadership is and how it has to be done uh, if it's to be good uh, in community, right, mm-hmm. with people. Yeah. Well, that, that kind of helps vector us then into what is taking place uh, in Acts 6, Um you know, again, a little bit of context for everybody. The gospel is beginning to kind of move out uh, from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea to, you know, ultimately the other ends of the earth. Uh, and by the time it gets to chapter six, um, a, a slight controversy has arisen. And what appears to be taking place is that the uh, Greek women widows uh, are not getting their fair share of food mm-hmm. uh, like the Jewish women are. And so the uh, Apostles put their heads together and they make this kind of cryptic comment. You know, it's really not a good idea that we should get involved in these mundane and domesticated issues. We need to kind of concern ourselves with things like preaching the word and praying and, you know, all that. He said, they say, so here's what we will do. We will appoint uh, seven deacons to take up this matter. 
and if you read the seven names closely, one of the things that's curious is that they're all Greek names. Mm-hmm. Um, and the food issue is solved. And in fact, if you read the rest of the book of Acts, food never comes up again. And here's here's the thing that I think is notable, Rick. Um, you know, a food issue um, could have been pretty easily solved by saying, hey, here's some money, go down, buy some bread, you know, buy some fish, and let's let's take care of this, make sure everyone gets fed. Yeah. But what instinctively uh, the, this, the apostles knew is that if you go further up the river, right, not deal with the issue itself, but maybe the leadership gap that produced that issue in the first place, you'll take mm-hmm. care of it forever. And that for leadership foundations is, is absolutely significant. Um, you know, we do a lot of activities, um, you know, in fact, 193 of them throughout the world. Um, but what is most important is in any one of those initiatives or those programs, what we are trying to do is curate leadership so that, right, we won't have these problems in the future. be a vivid, vivid example of this Act 6 idea uh, in Proecto Mole, who we will talk about today with, with Mel and Alma. So um, yeah, it's a great base by which to think about leadership. Oh yeah, no kidding. And then I think that uh, actually, I've talked to folks before about leadership foundations. They go, oh, is it a foundation that you know grants money, like as, it, as you were saying? And I say, no, mm-hmm. uh, they grant leadership. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's such a it's it's really a kind of a cool way to uh, to explain what's happening. But yeah, yeah. And, and, and even at the idea of uh, approaching some kind of a challenge by just coming up with a solution instead of, uh, I you know, realizing that, if, you know, if there's proper leadership, then they will, uh, you know, they'll navigate. And so that's what's I think so great about um, yeah. not only the. The practicality, but also the, uh, the the sort of biblical basis for this. Now, uh, we're going to get to hear from Melody Rodriguez and Alma Vargas, who have been part of the LF movement for a number of years, and they're based right in our hometown of Tacoma, and uh, oh, yeah. two five three, yeah, and they've been mm-hmm. doing remarkable work. And um, I've had a chance to see them, and uh, and I know about some of the work they're involved in. But we'll get a chance to talk to them. But just before we do, hey Dave, I want to talk about the year end giving. How about that? I oh, mean, first. Great. Uh, let's face it, we're we're headed into the last months of the year, and uh, we want to invite all listeners of the City's Playground podcast to engage a bit more deeply and and think about a uh, a year end financial contribution. Um, so uh, not to the podcast, but to the Leadership Foundations, <laughs> the host of our podcast. This week uh, we're actually celebrating Thanksgiving in the United States, um, and uh, we're we're a little behind our Canadian uh, brothers and sisters there. But uh, if you uh, are thankful for being a part of the LF community, then, you know, we, we just want to ask you to consider making a contribution to support the work of the global network. And, and of course it's easy to do. Uh, and you, all you have to do is go to leadershipfoundations.org slash donate. And, and every donation is hundred percent tax deductible and goes directly to fuel the remarkable leadership and long lasting change in cities throughout the world. And also, uh, you it contributes to the, the development and uh, realization of the city as playground which is our theme right. uh, in the That's podcast. Right. So, hey, Dave, why don't you introduce uh, Melody and Alma to us for some of those who are new to uh, maybe even the, this part of the world in the Pacific Northwest, but, or and especially to what the work that they're involved in. 
Well, absolutely. It's my pleasure. And uh, I have a term that I've used and Melody and, and Alma, I think, fit it perfectly, but that LF and cities around the world get to work with what we call street saints. Uh, and these are women and men who I think have, uh, in a variety of different ways, uh, decided that uh, ultimately what they want their life to be about is giving back to others. Um, I had a chance to meet Mel. Gosh, Mel, I'm now getting scary how many years it's been, but it's probably upwards of 15 ish, maybe even longer, um, and had had heard about Mel, heard about the good work she was doing, and then had the privilege of watching her create um, Proyecto Mole, and it became an initiative of the Northwest Leadership Foundation. Mel will say a little bit more about this, but uh, and it still might be true, but at least for a number of years, uh, Proyecto Mole was the only initiative in the city of Tacoma uh, that was working with uh, Latino kids and, and providing a mentoring and education. Um, again, Melody is, uh, without question, uh, the single best uh, person I've ever seen mentor young people. Um, you know, mentoring can have kind of a little bit of a funny name at times. And, you know, everyone says, oh, yeah, I got a mentor or whatever it might be. But if you yeah. enter into Proyecto Mole, um, is is the real deal. And I mean, just young person after young person that Proyecto Mole has served is now out uh, in positions of significance of giving back to the community. Um, it, this was so powerful that here a couple of years ago, um, we at LF uh, actually uh, submitted Mel's name to Mentor, which is the national mentoring uh, group, kind of oversees all of mentoring in the United States. And lo and behold, uh, Melody was named uh, Mentor of the Year. Uh, and this is pretty heavy traffic. I mean, just to give everyone mm -hmm. a little bit of a perspective, we had a chance to watch the uh, ceremony on Zoom. And I forget, Mel, if the person, it was before you or after you, but was none other than uh, Senator Cory Booker. Um, so there, there was Mel and there was Senator Cory Booker. So pretty significant and heavy traffic um, mm -hmm. to be sure that she's traveled in. So. It's been great. The other thing I would say um, about uh, Melody and Alma is that uh, here now, three, maybe four years ago, um, uh, we had some administrative things take place and uh, Proyecto Mole moved or migrated from the Northwest Leadership Foundation over to Leadership Foundations. And so one of the things I'm quite proud of as president of Leadership Foundations is that within our own administrative office, we have the initiative of Proyecto Mole and we have mm -hmm. a chance to support it uh, year in year out. And then Alma in some ways becomes, I think in my mind, the poster child of what Proyecto Mole is, is all about. Um, uh, she and Mel's relationship uh, has been one of mentor to mentee. And then in a classic sort of Proyecto Mole way, um, Melody has given Alma essentially the operational controls over Proyecto Mole. So she is now the kind of day-to-day -day, uh, person who is operationalizing. And it's a great example of, again, leadership, begetting leadership, which begets leadership. Uh, and you just can't say enough about that. You know, most programs, right, they run their program and there's no footprint lift left afterwards mm -hmm. because they didn't think about leadership. Proyecto Mole, on the other hand, Everything they do, the mentoring educational space is always with an eye toward how do we help this young person become a leader 
right? Who happens then to be a educator or a you know business person or whatever it might be. So that's Proyecto Mole. And uh, again, they are a bright shining star in the firmament of, uh, of Tacoma. And now actually have kind of a national platform because of Mel's awards. That's yeah, very nice. Yeah. Well, uh, welcome, Mel and Alma. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. We're excited to be here. Thank yeah. You. Well, well. Let's start with you, uh, uh, Mel, and just tell us a little bit about uh, for, for folks that don't know what Proyecto Mole is about, you know, and and uh, about the young people that you serve, and you know, kind of give us a a sketch. Okay. So, um, I guess I would start with um, Proyecto Mole. We actually started in two thousand seven. Um, I had done a lot of work with a nonprofit, a community nonprofit in Tacoma. I had been there for thirteen years. And I kind of, I mean, it happens a lot in community nonprofits. You do a lot. I mean, you do a lot, but you do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. But I realized that what I was most passionate about was the youth development aspects of the community nonprofit and programming. And there was a change of leadership about 13 years in, and I literally had worked in every position in the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, I was the person who, when the executive director wasn't there, I was in charge. Um, At one point I learned how to process checks when the finance (laughs) person was there. I even subbed for um, ESL class, which was not my favorite thing to do. (laughs) Um, But I realized that it was a great place to learn about nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And to kind of get an idea, to really have a good picture of what it takes to be in nonprofit work. But I realized that I wanted to focus my attention and my skills on youth development. And when the cha- the change of leadership, even though it was scary, you know, the idea of leaving someplace that I mean, essentially right out, out of undergrad, I started at that. I was started in my last quarter of undergrad as an intern. Mm-hmm. And you know, to realize like to the idea of leaving. And I really believed in the mission, I believe, but the leadership change was a great opportunity, even though it was not the most positive change. It was a great opportunity for me to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I had um, had relationships Oops, um, with, I had been a part of NL, um, NLF with some of their capacity building projects. Um, they had, they actually funded, um, they were one of our funders for, we took youth to um, California, to Los Angeles. We stayed in East LA and visited nonprofits who were doing, you know, they were, they were more advanced and more established in their work with the Latino community. And NLF was one of our funders for that trip. And we took like 12, 13 students um, on that trip. And we got to expose them to just what nonprofit and community work looked like in, you know, California. And that kind of became fuel for when we came back of what we wanted to envision. And I think that was that trip was crucial in making me want to leave the organization. Mm-hmm. And I happened to approach staff from NLF that were part of the capacity building and ask them, you know, just kind of said, what would it look like if I came to NLF and could I just do like youth stuff? And they had me put together a little, fill out a form, like a little proposal, and Proyecto Mole was born. Hmm. Um, they said yes, and they gave me a home. And, you know, I met Noah. Our first site for Proyecto Mole was Trinity um, Presbyterian Church on the hilltop, and Noah was an AmeriCorps. 
Oh, and, okay. you know, several key people um, that are now in the community were AmeriCorps members or ULT members back in the day. So Mole started off as um, a Latino student support program with the mission to inspire, prepare, and mobilize Latino youth as leaders in their communities. And we don't say community singular. We say communities because our young people belong to a lot of different communities, not yeah. just their ethnic community. It could be their neighborhood, their school, their, you know, the community they identify with. And so we want them to be leaders in all aspects of their life in all the communities they belong to. And so, you know, our emphasis is, you know, positive self-development. It's the mentoring. It's that, you know, taking advantage of opportunities, being encouraged to take advantage of opportunities that you maybe never saw yourself be a part of. Um, it's definitely academic. We are big. The foundation for everything is like education. Mm -hmm. You will graduate. That's not even, that's just the basic thing you will do. You will graduate high school, but it's, what are you going to do next? So one of our, our second goal is really to increase, um, attainment of post-secondary education amongst Latino students. And then the third, you know, um, not only, um, post-secondary education, but also like representation and professional career paths. Um, we want we want our young people to become adults that are seen in schools as teachers, as principals, or at the hospital as doctors, or, you know, even working as postal workers, you know, being a supervisor for the post office, who knows? Right. But we, we want them to have career choices that are beyond what they've seen in their family and what they only know. So exposing them to that. And then the third thing would be, we want them to see themselves not only as a part of the community, you know, just as being, living in their communities, but also being a part of the shaping and decision-making of the community. So that civic engagement, you know, step out, you know, step up, become like the youth, the student person on the Tacoma school board, you know, become part of the art museum's teen art council, you know, so, you know, starting them young in those kind of um, opportunities so that as they grow up, we will see their their faces and their influence in those different places in our community as adults. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think I'll turn it over to Alma a little bit because, you know, even though we're a Latino organization, we don't serve just Latinos. I'm yeah. Sorry. I mean, we obviously started um, serving Latino youth, right? But as we kind of think about the different communities and the different interactions that our youth have. They don't only, you know, hang out or, you know, have friendships with other Latino youth. The reality is that a lot of them have friends who are Asian, who are Pacific Islander, who are, um, you know, every ethnic background possible. Our mm -hmm. kids have friendships. And the most important thing to understand is that all youth have similar stories and similar struggles. Therefore, mm -hmm. you know, we're providing support for our youth. They're usually are coming in and telling us, hey, can you help my friend? Can my friend come with me? Because they're mm -hmm. going through the same things. Right. Um, and the other thing that they all have in common is um, to a certain degree, a lot of our children, if they're not immigrant themselves, they come from immigrant um, families. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's either uh, parents or other siblings who do not have legal status who are undocumented in the country. And there's a lot of struggles that come with that. So we have um, our students who have that in common. Mm. Well, mm. let me ask you this, Ahmed. Um, we we kind of heard 
uh, Mel's story, you know, out of undergrad, then, you know, working with a nonprofit and then developing uh, Proyecto Mole and, you know, with the uh, local leadership foundation and now with uh, LF, but what, how did you cross paths? I mean, where did you come from? You know? Yeah. It's, it's so funny. It's been so long um, that I've been involved in Mole that it just, it's so natural to me um, to to think about. And every time that I'm asked to tell a story, I'm like, I can't believe it all started by wanting to volunteer at one of at a community event. Mm-hmm. So my school um, signed up to put up an altar for the Dia de los Muertos community celebration here in Tacoma at the Tacoma Art Museum. Mm-hmm. And little did I know that by participating in that one event, and that was like November of 2008, that was like two months into my freshman year in high school. That's when I met Melody. That's when I met Proyecto Mole. And since then, I have been actively involved in one way or another with Mole. Um, I have been a participant. I did receive a lot of academic support. Every, you know, every kind of support to get into college, getting scholarships, making sure that I, as an undocumented student, knew um, my rights and that I was actually, you know, it was possible for me to go to college. Yeah. Um, So without knowing, I was actually mentored by many different adults and other peers who had more knowledge than I did. Um, And that's really what I loved about Mole and that's why I stayed then and mm-hmm. why I continue to stay year after year. <laughs> well now Melody when you when you uh saw Alma can you remember like I mean is it I know it's just your practice to you know to keep your eyes open all the time but did you see something special or did you think hey um you know, uh, did you have any idea you know that you'd be you know like we'd still be sitting here for 15 years later you know Um, it was funny because she was a freshman and she was part of the Latino club at Washington high school and they had signed up to do an altar. And I remember her freshman year, they had upperclassmen club members who, um, were supposed to be in charge. You know, they're supposed to bring the, one was bringing the table. One was bringing the, and it was a hot mess because none of the, (laughs) the upperclassmen and club officers talked to each other. And it was Alma and her friend, her best friend, who were both freshmen, who took the initiative. And instead of just everyone waiting around doing nothing, they were like, okay, we can make the tissue paper flowers. We can do this. It's like, okay, when the table comes, what are we going to do? So really like kind of all the stuff that should have been done before anyway, that the other club members, the older ones, the the officers overlooked because they were just focused on what they were going to do. They only like what I have to bring, you know. Mm like who's telling who and it was Alma and her friend Daniela they just kind of galvanized the group it didn't matter if they were older or younger those kids who showed up on time who were waiting for the table who were waiting for the linens to put on the table and they took them into the there was like a little art classroom on the floor that we're doing the altars and just had them starting to do things in preparation for the materials coming Mm -hmm. Um, and then that event turned into Um, They came to our Latino Youth Summit, you know, later that year. And then, you know, talking, mentioning, oh, what would would have to happen if we can volunteer at the summit? And it started that way. And then every year that she was in high school, they did an altar. Mm -hmm. And every year you could see how it changed. 
you know, no longer was it, you know, I mean, yes, they're still always waiting for the table, but it no longer became the responsibility of the teacher. I mean, the student, it was their club advisor who was always the late one with the table. <laughs> and so, and it would be Alma calling their club advisors like, um, we're waiting for you. You know, we're ready to go. And so it's just, I think that's what it was. I mean, you know, yes, I could see potential in people and the young people that we work with, but I'm not going to chase you down mm-hmm. to make you a leader. If you have the initiative and you follow through and you like seek out opportunities just to be connected, that is really telling to me. And, yeah. you know, we say this, I mean, we say this now, you know, it's funny to hear Alma say it because, you know, she was that ninth grader back in the day, but we're like, we're not going to work harder than you to hmm. make sure that you are doing it. It's like, in the end, it's going to be on your shoulders, not mine or not Alma's. Mm-hmm. And so we can, we can support you. We can guide you along the way. But it, when it comes down to it, it's going to be you. And so I think it's really about seeing that initiative and cultivating that initiative in these young, in the young people that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's funny, oh. though, to have watched her over the years and just see how she has grown, not just, you know, just within Mullet, you know, as a student first and as a participant, as a volunteer, then as a paid staff, and now in charge of like pretty much the operations, the the mentoring aspect, all the mentoring that we do. Um, you know, I always, I, I, my, my goal in the beginning is like, I can't do this work forever. It's like, but I don't, I know the work will not end just because I stop someday. Mm-hmm. And it's always thinking about secession, who will be the one to take up the the mission and the work and to have it be so be so passionate about and have it not just be a job but to be something that is just part of who they are and part of the life that you know like their contribution to the community because they live in the community yeah um so you know mel just because i've known you for so long um and what you just said you internalize so well but the truth is is that there are other programs out there that don't have the same philosophy you articulated. What would you say contributed to you having sort of this vision of, yeah, we're going to do academics, we're going to mentor, but it's really about leadership development and a succession process. Where where did that come from in you? I think, you know, working at that um that one, the 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 only other non, you know, when I first nonprofit the 13 years, yeah. I think it, it happened there. I saw what happened with the change of leadership. We had staff on board. I mean, like, I mean, I did. I tossed my hat in the, you know, my hat into the ring to be the like interim executive director. I knew I didn't want to be the executive director forever. I just wanted to at least get us like stabilize everything so that we could really do a proper search and find the right person. But I remember in my interview and board members who had known for 13 years who had contributed to different projects that I would do in the organization who would tell me to value me. And I remember them telling me, oh, it's like seeing my little sister grow up. Mm. And okay. And I was just thinking, you know, they decided that I was not going to be the interim and along with two other people who were on staff who were in management like myself, because they didn't want, their reasoning was we didn't want, if we chose you, we didn't want the other two to quit or vice versa. So they just totally, you know, and I thought, okay, you know, I think about if my little sister was the best candidate for the job or, you know, had the skills and it's like, I would be proud that she grew into this position. 
that I would want her because I know what her work ethic is or, you know, (laughs) someone that, you know, maybe started off as young and not knowing a lot, but had transformed. And I think that my thing was, you know, I would not want anyone to feel that way. If someone has the desire and has the commitment and is putting in the work, why would I hold that against them because of their age? And I think that was something, you know, we, we do this. We've always done this in Molay. Every one of our students, doesn't matter if you're a middle schooler or a college student, or even after college, you know, a young adult in your twenties or a young professional, everybody has responsibility within the program. Mm -hmm. Everybody has someone that is looking to them as an example. They're watching, you know, what they're doing, how they're doing it, who they surround them with. Everyone in our program is a mentor to someone, whether they have the title or not. And I think that, you know, that, that was something, um, that we've, that has been always said to the kids, you know, from the very beginning, even when we did a summer camp program, you know, summer camp program for multiple years, the elementary school school students, we were probably the only camp that had junior mentors that were middle schoolers. Mm -hmm. And those little middle schoolers, they took that job seriously and they weren't getting paid. They got, I think, a little gift card and they would get special privileges. Like we took them to go to Red Robin for lunch one day just to thank them. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it was just instilling that sense of you know, responsibility, that sense of pride in the work, that sense of pride in that you had an impact on someone younger than you or those around you. And the hope was that that would stick with them you know, as they got older and that they would want to do that to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's absolutely right. I, Rick, kind of a funny story. Uh, my middle son, Ryan, who, you know, um, worked for the Northwest Leadership Foundation for a period of time. Yeah. And one of the people that he worked for and with was, of course, Melody Rodriguez. And to this day, <laughs> Ryan has said to me, I probably learned more about leadership from her in one summer than I ever did from you, dad, um, which I tried, I tried to receive as, you know, a somewhat positive statement, but uh, um, yeah, just as yeah. Ryan. No, I been, actually worked for uh, Ryan uh, at his initiative at uh, uh, First Creek. First Creek. I went over yeah. and did after school stuff with him. Yeah. there. So yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. So that was great. And I could tell that he'd been in the, uh, in the presence of greatness beyond you, Dave. <laughs> But like, <laughs> but hey, uh, Melody and Alma, just tell us a little bit about Tacoma, uh, because you know our uh, the the title of our podcast, or you know the name we've given it from the beginning, is uh, you know coined after the the book that Dave wrote, "A City as Playground." And and um, you know how do you um, you know imagine the city of Tacoma, um, you know approaching that kind of a you know that kind of an image of where it's it's not a battleground but it's a playground how, how do you do that and and maybe where do you where do you uh how do you fuel that how do you continue to have hope that that's that's where we're headed oh gosh um you know i've we've heard you know the city has a playground for i mean that's been in my head for many years and you know i was thinking about it before this podcast and I think back to, you know, being a little kid mm-hmm. and what the playground meant to me. You know, I remember after school going home, changing into my play mm. clothes and just to go back to the playground at school mm. mm-hmm. and kind of like 
the excitement you feel, the anticipation, the, you know, that joy, that kind of that innocence of you knew you were going to either meet friends or meet new people. You were going to play, you were going to, you know, I just, it was always, it was always looked at as a positive thing. Yeah. And, you know, I was like thinking about, okay, as an adult, how do I, what, you know, what do I see? So Tacoma is the third largest city in Washington state. But Tacoma, although it's a city, it's very much a small town. It feels like a small town. Um, if you don't know everyone, you probably, it's sort of like the six degrees of separation. Yeah. Um, like the Kevin Bacon kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you probably do. You're probably connected to everyone within six people mm-hmm. of who you know. And I think that, you know, when you look at that, you know, those connections I think they're most visible in times of crisis and need or when something like if someone, a member of the community does something bad or something, you know, there's a negative associated with them. You think about how fast people galvanize or how fast that news spreads. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking like, well, you know, if the city were to truly be a playground, like what, you know, like how should we enter into that? And I thought back to being a kid and I was like, you know, when I th- thought about going to the playground, I didn't know it at the time when I was a kid, but as an adult, I looked, I thought about, it was about, you know, it was about an openness that you had when you went. You never mm-hmm. knew if there was going to be enough people to play four square or play softball, or you never knew. It was always a surprise. Mm-hmm. So, and you learned, you kind of just like, you, you kind of just rolled with the punches. You went, you saw, you kind of took assessment of who was there, how's it, you know, who wants to play what. And you think about all the things you learned and you learned everything on that playground Hmm. you learned about friendships you learned about relationships good and bad you learned conflict resolution you learned how to create how to negotiate Mm -hmm. um but most importantly it was a place of gathering you never knew who was going to be there but you knew that everyone who was there for the most part had a a common goal Mm -hmm. they obviously wanted to play or they wanted to be in company with others You know, Mel, one of the things I would say to you, um, going back to your earlier statement about how Tacoma feels uh, small, I think one of the reasons that Tacoma feels small is because of the work of people like you and Proyecto Mole. And I can actually, one of the things I like most about Leadership Foundation work, and I've said this to Rick before, um, you know, you go into a place like New York City, right, which has a few people, but if you do it with Jeremy Del Rio, uh, Jeremy has right networked this thing in such a way that new york actually begins to feel small mm-hmm. and that's characteristic i think of when a city is beginning to move on that spectrum towards a playground it actually does become or begin to feel like it's smaller because people are known and the way Proyecto mole has contributed to that is extraordinary so well done yeah you got anything to add uh alma I mean, the only thing that I would like to add to this um, discussion is the fact that I do live here in Tacoma, right? I do feel part of this community and I take it personally when I work with kids. I mean, Mm -hmm. I really have to think about doing my hair and getting ready when I go to the store because I might run into students (laughs) or parents. (laughs) I can't just take a quick trip to the corner, you know, to the, the um, the grocery store because I will run into someone. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. So it right. goes beyond um, my 
person, as you know, as a Tacoma resident, my job, I have worked with a lot of <laughs> parents and families here in Tacoma. So I do have to, yeah. you know, just just think about those things. But when we do take it personally, I feel like the work is more impactful. And so that's mm-hmm. what we try to um, kind of pass on to students. Like this is your city, this is your school, this is your club, this mole is you, right? Mm-hmm. We are going to be providing um, programming for you, but with your help. We do um, listen to our students and their needs. And so like, this is your chance, right? We tell them this is your chance to tell us what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. 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 And, and I mean, one thing that Alma and I talked about before the podcast, um, it was kind of, I, you know, we got some, I, we received kind of some questions that could be asked. And um, I think one of the questions that we, that really resonated with us is kind of the, what gives you hope? Where do you get the strength, inspiration to keep at it? Mm-hmm. And we were thinking about COVID. And I think that we reflect on, you know, almost been with Mole almost since the beginning in some capacity. And we were reflecting over the years, like there were times when, you know, it was, there was scarcity, you know, when it came to funding, there was, you know, a scarcity when we were, or the uncertainty that came with um, NLF closing and where would Mole go? Should we end? Mm. And it was funny because we were like, okay, so Mole wouldn't exist, but we knew that we would both be doing the work anyway. It just mm. wouldn't be under any 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 kind of formal organization or program because it is very personal to us. It's mm-hmm. a sense of responsibility that we have. And what the, the thing that really, I think, turned it around for that really sticks in our head right now is, you know, during the pandemic, we knew so many people who worked in nonprofit or who worked in education, who, you know, people who are getting furloughed, you know, programs that couldn't, you know, couldn't continue. And in this, this time where there was so much like uncertainty, there's a lot of scarcity. There was a lot of desperation amongst the families that we serve and the students that we serve. Mm-hmm. Molly actually thrived. Like Mm. we did not cut back on programs. We had new Mm. partnerships that came. We had funding that we never knew we would ever get. Um, And I think we took that as a sign, you know, just kind of, it's, you know, just kind of, it gives us hope. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it was also just kind of like, you know, like we would never have expected during that time you know, we were thinking I'm a worst case scenario kind of person. Uh, so we were like trying to be practical, like preparing, but then these little things just kept happening, these opportunities. And, you know, it just, it's like, we were almost not prepared. I mean, to other nonprofits, it would not feel like a season of abundance, but for Mole, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that, you know, pro- you know, when COVID started that I would ever think that. And but we were really blessed during COVID. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the fact that, I mean, I attribute this a lot to Alma. We were able to run virtual groups for 18 months. Mm-hmm. We had girls that showed up every single time. Mm-hmm. You know, we were able to bring in faculty from UWT who are Latina faculty to work with our girls on self-care and, you know, from the psych program, from Latino studies to really talk about identity and self-care, all these things the poet, the city of Tacoma poet, like all these, these things that in a virtual setting, everyone was so tired of virtual, 
but our girls kept showing up mm -hmm. and it's just like, and when they said to us that, you know, this is my me time. This is the one time that I know that it's all about me. And it's not my sibling, watching my siblings, taking care of them with their schooling or my parents being at work or preparing for when they go, you know, that even their family recognized that time as their mm -hmm. time. Yeah. I think, you know, that's one of the things I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from the pandemic is just just the impact mm -hmm. that that season of abundance for Mole as a program, how it turned into how it impacted our students and how it helped get them through such a hard time. Well, you know, Mel, that when, when you know when you were earlier, you're describing, uh, you know, memories of a of, of childhood going back to the playground after school. That's the same thing you just described with the girls. You know, when they when they come to Mole, there you have set up, you know, a playground for them. You know, and that they, you know, they there's that anticipation and that, um, you know, that excitement to be together. And so I think that you're living it out. You know. Um, in our community. Also, I loved, uh, I wrote this down as a note to myself. I love how you talked about communities, you mm -hmm. know, instead of just community. Cause I think we get so, uh, you know, it's like, we've decided, nope, you're just going to have one label and that's your label, you know, <laughs> like you can't be more complicated than, you know, this. And, and I think that's what, uh, we find out. And, and, you know, if we think about that playground picture, there's so many things going on in a playground, you know, <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. just so many, you know, there's not only uh, all kinds of different, uh, you know, things to play on, but groups, you know, working on different, you know, approaches to it and stuff. So I think that that's really, really cool. Um, Dave, you got anything to, you want to tag on? No, I mean, just as I said at the beginning, uh, what what Melody and Alma have done through Preapto Mole is just absolutely incredible. And it's been you know, my my pleasure to kind of sit in the front row and watch it um, get better and stronger and become more widespread and never, ever lose a sense of focus. So it's uh, just hearty, hearty. Uh, amen. Yeah. Well, I mean, telling you that um, there you, you you are doing amazing things. And I I love the city of Tacoma. And a big part of it is the, the work that you're doing. And so uh, I'm happy to be able to to uh you know have you on the podcast today and and also just to run india you know in our little our little town there uh now at the end of our uh, podcast we we kind of threw this out there for you guys but uh we always kind of wrap it up with a recommendation maybe something like a it could be a, a book a movie an experience or just you know a thought that that kind of sort of uh opens our eyes or the way the way you see the city uh which can uh be something that we could you know kind of uh relate to anything come to mind on that Oh, um, it's not really a book. I mean, it's not, there's not a book or a movie or an experience, right? I mean, every, I think for us, every experience we've had from Ole is one of those things, but I think, um, something that I think LF has done such that has really that has really, um, made me more aware of being a part of LF, um, is really thinking about beyond just even, okay. So not only beyond myself, beyond the community, I, the communities I belong to, mm -hmm. but thinking bigger. And so there's this quote that I, I read once and it was like, if your dream only includes you, it's too small. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I think about that, and you know, I was like, you know, I need to tell our students that more, and to really challenge them to think that, you know, because like we, I was at an event last night, it was the Daffodil Princess coronation for Mount Tahoma's Daffodil Princess, mm-hmm. and one of the young lady who won, they asked her what her future, what she wants for her future, and. I was, I'm going to be frank. I didn't think she should have won, especially with this answer, because she talked and she said, well, I want to have a career where I can make lots of money and I could travel the world. And I think she realized at that point that she probably should add something. And then she said, you know, I want to go, there's a lot of third world countries. I want to go and help. And I thought, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to create wealth for you and your family, but you have to think about if that's your dream, how does it impact those around you, not just your family, but your community. How are you going to take that wealth and be responsible with it and contribute to your community? How are you going to use that wealth to further causes or, you know, things that you value? And so I think about, you know, we, as a kid, you're told, what is your dream? You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's really, you know, teaching our young people and even us as adults, because we get very, you know, short-sighted and only think about ourselves sometimes is if you're only, you know, like, how does it's like how can you make your dream bigger to mm-hmm. extend beyond you yeah beyond you know because all of us i mean we all live in you know we all live in whatever city we live in we are part of different communities it's not enough just to be a part or a member of these communities it's like yeah. what are you doing to advance your communities what are you doing to develop your communities so that for the next generation that follows that it's better off than when it you know than it is now That's great. That, that is a that is a, um, a great thing for us to, to leave our podcast with and and for all of us to sort of uh, um, see uh, sometimes the things we say and think about through that filter. But we, we want to thank you so much, uh, uh, Mel and Alma, for your time, because we know Absolutely. that you got some things to do. And uh, <laughs> and so we appreciate you budgeting this time and spending time with us. And uh, we look forward to, you know, uh, just things that are continue to unfold. And, uh, and no matter what, you know, there's a sort of an interesting um, kind of bonding thing, I think that happens with any of us in leadership that we've all uh, been on the COVID journey. You know what I mean? I think that someday we're gonna all look back and go, hey, yep, we were there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I think that uh, to, to hear that the fact that during this really challenging time, you guys are thriving and um, and and I uh, I'm I'm so excited for uh, for the students that that are involved in Project Mole and just the you know the the things that you, you speak into their lives like even Alma when you were talking about how when somebody sees you um you know as more than you see yourself it just draws you in and and that's what you guys are doing so I appreciate it so uh, thanks again for being part of the podcast and Dave thanks for uh, joining us from uh, sunny Texas and we'll uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Right. All right. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Alma. Thank you, guys. Bye.